Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. Good to see you here today on this glorious spring break. It's going to be a a wonderful week. And uh, before we jump into the text, I want to I share with you three stories about water. The text begins by saying, come, you who are thirsty. When I was a sophomore in college, I got an internship at uh, Impact Church of Christ in Houston. If you don't know anything about Impact, it's a, uh, an inner city church plant funded by the neighboring, the, the uh, surrounding churches, and uh, they house about 40 interns, at least they did, uh, every summer to come and work with kids and adults and babies, the whole lot. Anybody that wanted to come work could, could work in this very important church. And I had never been to Houston before uh, I went to this internship. Now, I got paired, my housing was with one of the ministers there, and I was very blessed. I thought this was going to be awesome because he lived in the neighborhood that Impact was found in. It was a, a very poor neighborhood, and I was going to do ex- experiencings that I was not ready for. One of the things that I was not ready for was how muggy it is in Houston. Now, I grew up in Denver, and in Denver it gets hot in the summer, but it's a dry heat because it's a very arid uh, region. And so like most houses, when I was a kid, didn't have air conditioning in Denver. We just had basements. If it got too hot, you just went down to the basement and you lay down on the foundation floor and you were cold after about five minutes. Houston does not have basements, nor does it have arid uh, climate. I, have, I didn't sweat in the shower before I came to Houston, but I did. And the other piece of this that you must understand is the person that I was staying with didn't bother to get AC in his house at all. And Impact is basically was a giant warehouse and they didn't bother to put AC in with the middle school students that I was working with. So I was hot when I woke up. I was sweating in the shower. I was hot all day. And then I came home and I was hot waiting for the next day. It was very uncomfortable. And it only got worse about three weeks in when I went with another intern to where they were staying in Tomball. They had AC. Here's the thing about Houston and water. 
You sweat all day long. And I learned very quickly, like, you just have to keep a water bottle with you because you are always thirsty. Fast forward a few years later in my life, and I found the most beautiful place in the world, in my opinion, is Utah. It's geologic beauty. It's gorgeous. It's my favorite place in the world. And it was, it was the height of summer, and, and Natalie and I were going hiking. And there was a sign of warning that was posted on one of the trails. Because Utah is a lot like Denver, very arid, dry, but very hot. And the sign said, even though you are thirsty, by this point in the trail, or even though you're not thirsty, by this point in the trail, you are dehydrated. Please drink. Because in Houston, you're sweating. You know that water's coming off of you in buckets. But in Utah, you can be fooled. It was a few years later that I went and visited a grandma. It wasn't my grandma. It was a grandma, but you know the type. The grandma that has plastic on her sofa, the grandmother that has been cooking her entire life, and that's how she shows love. That's how she, that's how she gives life to others. And so I came in, and I was sitting there, and, and she offered me something to eat, but I'd already ate, so I wasn't hungry. I very politely said, no, thank you. And then she offered me some iced tea, and I really wasn't that thirsty, and so I said, no, thank you. And then she offered me, well, would you like some lemonade? I could make you some lemonade. And I, I thought, no, that's wonderful. And then she said, said, well, maybe how about some cookies? And I know I really just ate. And, and my friend looked at me and said, she's just going to keep offering you things until you take something. So she said, how about some water? And I said, okay. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, about a year into my time in San Jose, I went to my first tech company lunch. And if, you, if you've never experienced this before, the, the tech companies around um, San Jose, Silicon Valley are famous for their food because it's free. Like you can eat whatever you want, wherever you want on any Google campus for free. And, uh, and they realized, the company realized that some of their employees were eating two out of their three meals on campus. One, because it was cheaper. Two, because they were there already. In fact, these free meals are kind of this little insidious thing that the tech companies do to keep you there. You can get there at 7 a.m. and you can stay till 7 o'clock at night because we've got free food for you. And so I was walking through the campus and I just pulled up and there was like a free oil change station that the company had set up for their people. And right next to it was the dry cleaning where you could just dry, drop off your dry cleaning at work and they would bring it back. And I was just like, what kind of place is this? And so we sat down and we ate this amazing meal because the other thing the tech companies really realized was if we provide healthy food on campus and they're eating two or three meals here already, we might as well serve them healthy things because it's going to drive down our, our um, health insurance costs. And they were right about that, by the way. And so we eat this fancy meal and, and my friend says, well, would you like some dessert? There's a, another place over there where we can get ice cream and we go get this fancy ice cream. It was really good. Then he's like, how about cookies? And I was like, sure, they're free. And I, I am gorged in this hour. And he says, let me show you my workstation. And we go up to his third floor and 
It's this workstation in the middle of like a million other workstations. And I look over and there's a, there's a, a, a refrigerator there with one of those glass doors. And there's water and there's soda and there's all the fancy drinks like uh, Topo Chico and all of these, Evian, all of these fancy things. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing. He's like, yeah, you want something? Just go get it. It's free for everybody who gets it. And right next to the, uh, the, the refrigerator was this like snack stand where you could get everything you could imagine. If you wanted a candy bar, it was there for free. If you wanted like some trail mix, it was there for free. If you wanted pretzels, it was there for free. And there was even pistachios there. And I made a good joke to my friend and I said, man, I can't believe you. I can't believe that this tech company makes you shell your own pistachios. I mean, come on. <laughs> and my friend looks kind of sheepish. It takes me about 30 steps and there were the shelled pistachios. <laughs> Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. I heard a story this week about a visitor that came to Texas, came to Abilene. You may have heard this story before. It was their first time here. They were coming in to speak, and um, they'd never really been to Texas before. But their plane got in late. I know you're shocked. Uh, and they didn't have time to have dinner. And so the person that was kind of being their host said, look, just, I know you got to go straight to your hotel. I know you're tired. But if you want to get something to eat, go to Whataburger because that's kind of a cool Texas treat. Well, the guy got confused and ended up at Schnitzel, And he had questions the next morning. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Father God, who meets all of our needs, who waits in heaven to pour blessing on us, who is the fulfillment of every desire, every hunger, and every thirst that we have ever had, we give you thanks. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching that I might Speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church said, amen. You have a choice of what to do when you're thirsty. And I want to use thirsty here as kind of like a metaphor for every desire that you possibly could have. Anything that your body desires. And the other thing we have to get clear is that God made your body. God made those desires. Those things are God-given to you. There's nothing wrong with them because God made you. But the promise of this text is about God's abundant blessing. God not only made your desire, but also made the world and everything in it. Every, every notion that you have has a righteous and holy expression that God created in this world for you to experience. But what God offers is an invitation, and God waits to be chosen. We're going through this series in, over the, the this time of Lent, and we're moving through Scripture together. And today, we're in Isaiah 55, and uh, this is a really important chapter in the book of Isaiah. And I want to explain to you why very quickly. Isaiah basically has three sections. One is 
1 through 40. And it's kind of this prophetic work where, where God is calling his people back and calling his people back and offering more and more reasons and, and theological effort to, to pull his people, pull their hearts back to him. But they don't do it very well. And so 40 through chapter, uh, chapter 40 through chapter 54 is, this, is, is an expression of Babylon. It's an expression of exile. If you know your history in Israel, you know that uh, history, uh, Judah gets sent away into exile into Babylon. They're carried away. Everybody that's important or smart or talented gets taken away to be slaves and serve the Babylonians. This time of exile lasts about 70 years. And, and it's, this is kind of the second part of Isaiah where God offers comfort to those people that lost their land and lost their homes and lost the temple and lost their identity and lost everything that told them who they were. It was all gone and all of a sudden they were subject to foreign power. God offers hope in that section. Well, Isaiah 55 is another, it's a hinge in this book because God is bringing his people back home bringing them out of Babylon, bringing them out of exile, bringing them back to be a people that he has called together. And there's hope in the return. The text says that God's ways are above our ways. Have you ever met someone that's so much smarter than you, you have no idea what they're doing at all? You are just baffled. I, I got into chess for a while and so being the nerd that I am, I, I bought a computer program and I gave, began to play it. I played about three games before um, I tried to find the setting that would make it absolutely easy. And I still wasn't doing very well. And so I did what any nerd would do. I did some research, right? I started watching uh, chess games online and I, I began trying to study and figure out what's going on. And I'm watching some of these games and I have no idea why these grandmasters are making the moves that they're making. So I talked to a friend and I said, I have no idea what's going on. You're going to have to explain this to me. Why did they move the rook here? Why are they moving this pawn here? This doesn't make any sense at all. And he looked at me and he said, Shane, what you have to realize is that these, these grandmasters in chess, they're playing a decision tree in their head. They're not imagining the next move. They're imagining the move after that and the move after that. Some of these chess players can imagine moves 15 to 20 plays deep. If I do this, he does this. If I do this, he does this. And it becomes this big decision tree because there's more and more options. And they're routing that all out and then they see the path to victory. Have you ever met somebody that was so much smarter than you, you have no idea what's going on? Isaiah says, you have met someone like that. Because his ways are not our ways. His paths are not our paths. And what God is going to do may not make a lot of sense. Now, it's easy to take this text and, and use it as a bludgeon to say, well, it's just because you're dumb, right? It's just because we don't know what's going on and God is smarter than you. So just, so just be faithful. Just follow God. That's not what Isaiah intends to say. What, what Isaiah tends to say is, is in a context of, of theology that there is mystery and unknowingness in our relationship to God. We are never going to fully grasp exactly who God is or what God does. It's just the reality of it. God is too complex for us to engage. That doesn't mean that we can't experience intimacy with God. That doesn't mean that we can't experience knowingness and trust with God. What it does mean is that you're never fully going to grasp this. This is a well that once you dive into, you're never ever going to touch the bottom. This is a pool that is so deep, it's never, ever going to run dry. 
There's a theological understanding to this. There's also a context to this. Remember, this is the moment. This is a chapter and a hinge in a book where God is calling his people back. And some of those people that are in Babylon are like, you know what? We've been here for a while. We kind of have some established roots. Maybe we should just stay. Maybe a life of exile, a life of like our needs and our wants being kind of met, maybe that's enough. Maybe we should just kind of live in that life instead. And it's not hard to imagine our lives as that life in exile when it comes to sin. That the paths that we choose and the ways that we make aren't the best ways. I marvel at human ability. I marvel at what human beings are capable of. They're incredible feats. Aren't you just amazed at what people can be and what people can do? I was at a sticky, uh, sticky Faith conference a few years ago, and we were, we were talking to this path, uh, panel of young adults, and they were answering questions so we could hear what it's like for church from their perspective, and that's a very important thing for us to do is hear what it's like for the next generation. And one of the things that the next generation said is like, look, we have Google. We have the total sum of human knowledge at our fingertips at any time we want it. We don't need you. If I want to know something, I can just ask the computer. I don't have to have this intergenerational community. And somebody from the back said, you can't Google wisdom. Probably one of the coolest things that the human beings have created, the internet, the vast sum of wealth of knowledge being distilled into a pilot you can get out of your hand, still falls short. Everything that we do has a tinge of destruction. Pure creation is impossible apart from God, but it's what we believe. And it's what people at the time of Jesus believed too. There are two miracles that happen throughout the course of Jesus' life that are, that are um, uh, mentioned in all four Gospels. There's only two. One is the resurrection, but the second is the feeding of the multitude. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 or the 4,000, that, that's in all four Gospels. And it's interesting what happens after Jesus feeds the multitude. They immediately want to make him king. And he resists it. Because the people were doing at the time what they believed was the right thing to do as a circumstance. Here's a person with power. Here's a person that can feed us. Let's put him in charge. As if a king could solve Israel's problem. As if technology could solve the human problem. In California, it was um, high-speed rail and the power grid. Those were the two problems that just couldn't seem to be solved. I'm so glad in Texas we don't have those problems. <laughs> but, the, but the mindset is the same, right? All we got to do is throw those bums out and get our bums in. Do we really believe that slightly different government or anything else can satisfy our inmost desire? I don't think shelled pistachios can do it. I think that we have a thirst that cannot be filled by anything except for God. And what God desires, what God offers, is invitation.
And there's a connection here to this season that we're in. Zane has described this season as a, a spring cleaning for your soul, a time where you, where you take out the things you don't need or you dust off the things that you haven't used in a while. But I think what it foments is faith. I think what it creates is, is trust. Because our understanding is not a prerequisite for our faith. Our understanding is not a prerequisite for our faith. This is true in our lives, but it's also true in the lives of Scripture. You look at the story of Abraham, of Moses, of Samuel, of Ruth, of Jesus. And God offers an invitation. The text says, come and find the Lord while God is near. And there is a stirring in our hearts at times. And the reality, it feels like God is is closer to us. And this has nothing to do with the availability of God. God is always near. But what I have found is true is there are times in our lives when our hearts are soft and they're open and God feels more present to us. God invites you to his table to meet every thirst, to quench every desire. You are welcomed by the Father. You are welcomed by the Son. Come and find that God is good and forgiving and ready to meet you wherever you are. What I want to do today is a little bit different than what we normally do. I'm going to offer you an invitation. It's something that we haven't done here at Highland in a long time. Not an invitation to come forward and meet elders. Although we will have elders available around this room and in the foyer, you can find them if you want to talk to someone and and find someone to pray with. That is totally appropriate. I want to invite you to an invitation to reflect on your own heart. To reflect on your own thirst. Because what God offers is good and it's free. It's created just for you. Or another way of saying that is you were created just for him.